Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you people, it is pouring in Burbank today. It is crazy. I mean, I, I drove, I, well, this is the worst. Joanne has the umbrella. Now, we, we live in LA, so we only have one umbrella because you don't need to because it never rains and we're usually around. So Joanne has the umbrella in her car because the other day it was supposed to rain. She said, get me the umbrella. So as you know, I gave her the parking spot when she moved in because I'm a gentleman. So last night I had to park like a block and a half from our place. So I said to her before she leaves this morning, I said, you know, do we have the umbrella? And she says, yeah, it's in, it's in the closet. Well, I go to the closet and I remembered I would put it in the car. So basically I had to run a block down the street and I had nothing on my head. I was worried. And I, I found a Sprouts shopping bag and I have it in the studio right on the floor. And I put that on my head. And all I can think is my neighbors are watching me run down the street and Burbank when it rains, the, it, all the water comes down from the hills. So I'm jumping puddles, I'm cursing, and it was an awful day. And the reason I bring the rain up is because my guest today, I met him Sunday at a former guest, Lucky Lara's beautiful house. He had a great party. And me and my guest, we started talking about pleather and leather. And I was wearing a pleather jacket. He has a very, very nice custom-made leather jacket. And I told him at the party, I said, you know what? The, you know why I wear pleather is because let's say I'm eating a hot dog and I'm drunk and I get mustard on it, I wipe it off. So today, where he was all trepidatious running into the studio, I can tell he's like, oh, shit, my jacket. Me, I had the pleather, and it's just bundled up. He had to go to the bathroom and wipe his off. Mine is on a chair, crumbled <laughs> up, and it'll be fine. And my guest is Rich Redmond. How you doing, Rich? Hey, buddy. How are you? Good. So no, so isn't now you probably were worried today with the jacket because it's a very nice and you know you got that custom. What are the rules on leather? I mean, what are the? Well, it's, the it, I think it's cool. Yeah, right? it's cool. But the thing that sucks about leather is leather is so damn expensive to clean. And I'm sure you got you got that custom laid. I think it'll be all right. And you love that jacket. I love it. Yeah. And so you you are want to make sure that the best cleaner does it. I'm a leather leather lover. Okay. See, it's a tongue twister. Exactly. Yeah. Now, now, have you always been a leather lover? I've always loved it, yeah. You know, and you buy off the rack, it's good, you know, but lately I've been treating myself to some fun stuff. Well, uh, you should be able to. You work hard. <laughs> if not now, when? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I have that, that pleather is custom, so I get the custom pleather. <laughs> but now, now, I met him at a party, and, and he's a drummer, and he's an actor, and now, you grew up in Connecticut, right? Yep. Now, now, at what point did you decide you wanted to start playing music, and what gravitated you toward the drums? Yeah, you know, I was just kind of a high-energy type A kid, you know, hitting everything in sight. My dad is an accountant. He was a career accountant. He's recently retired. And I think he secretly wanted to play the drums, but he noticed that I was hitting everything in sight. He's like, son, do you want to play the drums? You know, I was like, yeah. So he took me and I got lessons. I was This was like 1976, 1977. Got the little blue sparkle snare drum at the corner drum shop. And so you're like seven. Was, like, yeah. You're a little kid. Yeah, I was born in 70, yeah. So um, it was it was early. You know, I... I always tell people, I really should be better. I've been playing this instrument a long time. <laughs> you know, there's some late bloomers that do really well. You hear about the kids like, you know, I watched a documentary on Slash the other day. He didn't start playing guitar until he was like 14 years old. And by the time he was 18, he was in Guns N' Roses. Right. It's like, wow, okay. Um, It's like people that are born on Christmas Day. Like, they usually do pretty well in life. <laughs> yeah. They, it's, they, they start off nice. They get all the presents, <laughs> but then later they get a complex because people give them a present for. They double up. Yeah, and they go, wait a second, I don't, I'm not, I don't feel important. So that's the ones that become popular. Then they OD. That should have been a Larry David skit, the to double up gift. That's true. You're right. You're yeah. right. So now, now you're you're a young you're a young lad and you're playing drums. Playing drums. Now, now are you now? Do you sit there and go, I want to be in a the marching band, or I mean, do you find a band, or what route do you take? Because I know, like my brother played drums and he went into the marching band because it's. It, yeah, lets you work your craft because it's there. It's right. there. I mean, we have, wherever you have football, there's marching bands, you know, and and it's a great training ground. I mean, I was on that field <clears throat> on the 50 yard line for eight years, four years in high school, four years in college. And I studied music in college. I ended up getting like a master's degree in music education. So it was like it gave me the ability to like practice my craft hours and hours of every day, but come out of college with an actual practical degree as like a backup plan. If I ever needed that, I could be a music educator. So, um. It was it was great. You know, I mean, some people are like, no, I would never want to do that nerdy thing and be in the marching band. But it really gave me, you know, my all my musicianship, my chops, my my hand development, all that kind of stuff. And all, all through that journey, you know, I'm playing in bands. I'm playing I mean, growing up in El Paso, Texas. I moved to El Paso, Texas, you know, at what age at, at 11. OK. And, you know, there's, football is huge in Texas. So as a result of of you know, uh, football, there's great music education programs. So I'm playing in the marching band. I'm playing in the concert band. I'm playing in the symphonic band, pep band. I'm playing in bands after school and on the weekends and, you know, and, and, and El Paso, you have salsa bands and cumbia bands and, you know, classic rock bands. I was playing, play, play, play all the time. It was great. And I would also think because 
high school football is so so big in Texas. Yes. That you also because later in your career, you know, you you play in front of really big crowds now. Yeah. So I'm guessing for you, it's sort of in in a at that young age, you're sort of getting over that fear because you know most people have stage fright, but when you're sitting there and you're stuck out and true now, you're you're with other people. But you're still in front of you know whatever big yeah, eighty thousand people and pressures on you when yeah. you're young. It must have really developed you with saying, oh, I can play in front of anybody. Well, yeah, you look out, you're 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 wearing a snare drum at the on the fifty yard line. You know, someday I'm going to be playing this venue on a set of drums. You know, rocking and uh, you know the, it's the law of attraction. You know, you reap what you sow. You know, I was always my mom always put that in my head. You know, she always had me reading books like like you know. Um, you know, Napoleon Hill and, and, uh, Tony Robbins and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of implanted that kind of like glass half full kind of thought process. I worry about that Tony Robbins because I've listened to some of his tapes and he, and no one, what did he do before he was this? Like he talks about living in a studio apartment and washing his dishes in the shower, but like what kind of job did he have before he became this? I mean, he's a legend, and yeah. he's great at what he does. I think he was just first on the scene, and I he think, started that movement. Yeah, because I, I don't think he like. I, I, mean, I would love to see like if he ever waited tables or something. Like, like if someone I, said, "I waited tables with Tony Robbins down in San Diego in like '74." I think everybody should wait yeah. tables. I, I have you ever waited tables? Oh yeah, I, I was waited. been a waiter, parked cars, um, was a uh, did courier service, did uh, some light construction, did uh, a lot of. Um, substitute teaching that's what i did in nashville i would substitute teach so i'd play in the nightclubs until like 3 a.m you know in printer's alley and i would go home and at 7 a.m i'd be wearing a pair of khakis with my little briefcase and teaching kindergartners you know my worst job yeah what was actually his great job it was out here like 15 years ago it was a marketing job i dressed up like a piece of corn and i gave out soup on the corner on a corner and at farmer's markets but it paid thirty-seven fifty an hour, and I said this job is the best. What do you mean? How would they pay that much? It was a big marketing campaign for this big organic soup before organic was big. Yeah, and there was people dressed like chefs. They got paid twenty-two fifty. But my buddy was involved in it, and he goes, "Well, you used to do stand-up comedy." He goes, "You're funny. You're outgoing. You want to dress up like a vegetable?" And I go, well, "I don't know." He goes, "It pays thirty-seven fifty. I'm like, "Give me the damn suit. I'll be, I'll be a goddamn little sprout." Yeah, it'd be great. You know, you see those guys on the corner that are like always twirling those signs, like car wash signs and stuff. <laughs> the poor guys. I don't even know. They get like minimum wage, I yeah, because they always have a bad sunburn. I forget, yeah. like your friend Scotty at the party. He had a bad sunburn. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so you you go you go to college in Texas, you get your master's, and now when do you start to get gigs, and which way do you go? Because El Paso, yeah. I'm sure there's there's a music scene, but I'm not sure there's a. I don't think there's a music scene where if you want to make this a career, you yeah, can probably yeah. hang there. There's only those three places that everybody knows. You know, New York, L.A., Nashville. Um, so I get all the experience I can in El Paso, Texas. I go to Texas Tech University and, you know, I'm playing all over Lubbock, Texas. Then I go to Denton, Texas, which is, you know, University of North Texas and I'm playing all over Denton. And then the, the bonus is that 30 minutes away is the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. So Dallas had a great music scene. I was playing smooth jazz. I was playing in big bands. I was playing on McDonald's jingles. I was in the best top 40 band in town. It was great. So I did that till I was like 26 years old or something, had my little quarter life crisis. And I said, of course, I know the goal is to eventually get out of here. What do I love? I love Los Angeles. I love the palm trees. I love the sunshine. What a, I'm going there. And I ended up getting some auditions in Nashville, Tennessee for three artists, Barbara Mandrell, Trisha Yearwood, and Dina Carter. And these were three artists in one month that I auditioned for. Now, how did you get the auditions though? Because I always wonder, because back then it was, it, it wasn't like people now, there's the internet. Back then it's not the internet. There's like, there's, there's like, yeah. Word of Music, mouth, musician yeah. magazine or something. So I mean, you're you're in Texas, yeah. but you were that you must have been that good. Yeah. Where they heard about you, and now were you were you interested in playing country music? Um, I was never attracted to country music at all, but it was a means for an end to me to you know create an opportunity. And I thought to myself when I went to go do those auditions, the people that were in in the positions of power, the artist and the band leader in the band, they all really enjoyed me. And it always came down to me and another guy. And the other guy that always got the job lived in Nashville. So I said, you know what? Must be present to win. I, I gave my band two weeks notice and I moved to Nashville. And the reason why I moved to Nashville over Los Angeles was they said, no one knows me in Los Angeles, but all these people are starting to talk about me in Nashville. So um, Dina Carter had come out with this record called did I shave my legs for this a song called Strawberry Wine? Deanna, past guest. Yeah, she's amazing. Wonderful, great girl. Great so girl. that was my one of my you know um, rites of passage in Nashville was um, doing her audition, playing those songs. And then eight years after I moved to Nashville, I ended up playing, actually, you know, touring with her. Um, and she was living out here. 
So, um, yeah, it was great. So uh, the reason I got those auditions was that putting yourself out there. And I think if you're in the arts, whether you want to be a dancer or a screenwriter or a poet or in the in the entertainment arts, you really have to champion yourself because no one is going to do it as well as no one's going to be as passionate about your career as you are. So there was a saxophone player in town. I said, and I just put it out to the universe. All my friends was like, hey, man, I got to get out of this local cover band scene in Dallas, Texas. I want to get to New York or LA. Who's looking? Is anybody looking for a drummer, a touring drummer? My friend said, this girl named Trisha Yearwood in Nashville is having an open on like a call, like a cattle call. Now, was she as big as she is now then? She was bigger. This was her heyday. This okay. was like uh, 97. You know, so she had already a ton of number one songs and stuff. And really, even it really wasn't my style of music. I considered myself a rock drummer. Like I was, you know, an overeducated rock drummer. I was like into Elton John and the Faces and Rod Stewart and, you know, ACDC. I'm I'm a rock drummer. And um, but anyways, I saw an opportunity. I chased it and did the audition. It was good and opened the doors to Nashville. And so here I am like um, 18 years in Nashville. So you moved to Nashville and it must be weird moving in a new town. Because you don't know anything like we don't like when I moved out to L.A., I visited with my buddy and, and I knew nothing about L.A. Like, you know, and, and there's certain cities, you don't if you don't know and if you don't really know people, you think, oh, wow, you look at the rent. Oh, this is a great deal. Then you go in and you hear, wait, there's gunshots. I mean, did you did you find a place easily in Nashville? Is, is Nashville a safe city or is it like oh, southern yeah. cities where it's like broken up where there's a real crappy area and there's a good area? There's some crappy areas. But now now Nashville is so hot. There's 120 people moving there a week and it's the third fastest growing city in America. So it's a great place to raise a family. The music business is thriving. Um, the medical field there is thriving. So people like traffic in the last two years has gotten like dis- disturbing. And there's not a lot of room for expansion. Whoever planned the city back in the day, they call it a little big town. Nashville, it's a little big town. It's a little town with big town opportunities, but the infrastructure is is not designed for the amount of people that we're going to have. And they used to call it Guitar Town. You know, Steve Rowe had this song called Guitar Town. He wrote about Nashville. It's drum town, man. Like all the kids coming from, you know, you know, UCLA and Musicians Institute and the University of Miami, University of North Texas, all those whiplash kids, you know, that were that are studying, they're moving to Nashville. Why do you think that is? I mean, just because I mean, you know, the country and country music has changed, but if you're playing whiplash type stuff, that's not really doesn't assimilate the country. I mean, why do you think these kids are moving? They're moving there because, like I saw, I saw an opportunity, you know, to to make a living. That's the goal. Is like, how can I play music every day? Play a set of drums make my rent, have some sort of a lifestyle, develop a career. And, you know, you know, rock and roll, modern rock radio has died as a death. You know, there's only, we only have like 30 reporting stations or something left for modern rock music. So it's a little bit down. And the two styles of music that are working globally uh, in the world are hip hop and country. Those are the two styles of music that are consistently putting butts in seats um, and so I think that the kids that are in schools are going, wow, well, this is kind of a fun, it's, it's kind of like, kind of like the new rock. I mean, really? Uh, and they're saying, well, that's an opportunity. Nashville is still somewhat affordable. People are friendly. Um, I can get connected. You know, there's people like me there, you know, that I'll, I'll take in a, a young musician that just moved to town and I'll show them the ropes. I'll say, do this, do that. This will shave five years off of your career. If you do this, don't do that. Go to these places, hang out at these nightclubs. And I do that. It's kind of fun to mentor. Uh, you know, people well, blessed because I didn't necessarily have that. I had some some really famous session musicians that listened to my demo recording and and they said, "Man, you're gonna do great here. Good luck. Get and start. Just get involved. Get out. Shake hands." And they're right. It took time. They call it a five year town. Maybe in L.A. is the same thing. It could you know it could be longer. Um, but you know, five years to create enough relationships to support a full where you don't have to work a day job. So you're sitting there. You're in. You're in Nashville. Did you get the job with Trisha? Did you like what? Did you get the job with? Trisha? I didn't get the job with any of those girls because I didn't live in Nashville. But when you moved there, what was your first gig that you got with with someone of a name that, oh, that you were excited about? Because now you're there. You moved. Yeah. And you have to produce. And in just mentally, that's the way we act. It's like yeah. you get there. You can't say. You can't say. Oh, I didn't get the job because I wasn't here. You yep. got to say, I got to get a job because maybe yeah. I was off. I mean, who was the first person you hooked up with that you got a gig with? Oh, you know me. I'm just such a, I'm just so go, 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 go. I said, like, I was like, I'm here. You know, like, it's my attitude is like, I'm here, Nashville. I, I, you've been waiting for me. You know, it's like, you know, just, I was, I'm a confident person. I got to go out and 
create those opportunities. And uh, I just started going to all the open mics and putting my cards at all the coffee shops and the music stores and just going and crashing parties. And and it took a while, but um, I literally called any everybody in the Yellow Pages that had anything to do with music. And I ended up getting a guy on the horn. His name's Paul Ross. He was a is insurance salesman by day and like band leader by night. And he had a society band called the Cadillacs. And it's, you know, the last thing I wanted to do, I was doing that in Dallas, Texas. I didn't want to move to Nashville to play in a society band, but he gave me an opportunity, uh, you know, to pay my bills. And, you know, it's the first sets like, you know, brush jazz and then the salads come out and, and you're playing Motown. And by the end of the night, everybody's, you know, biting their upper lip and dancing to YMCA. And then I had, you had to read charts and wear the tuxedo and everything. But I moved to Nashville on a Tuesday and I had that gig on a Saturday. So you start up, yeah, you're right though. That's the thing is, you know, as you say, would you rather be playing in a band like that, or would you rather be, you know, slinging hash? Right. You know, you, you, and that's the thing people don't get is sometimes I always, I always love when people say, "Oh man, this person sold out." You know, like like the script he wrote. Well, you know what? Guess what? If you're sitting there, you're you're busting your ass, busting your ass, busting your ass, and someone says, "Hey, here's uh here's two hundred fifty thousand dollars." You know, you're gonna write it. If someone came to me, I love doing Cooper Talk. But if some morning radio in Nashville came and said, "Hey, you know what? We're gonna pay you. We're gonna pay you hundred fifty thousand a year to to be our morning man." You might have to go bing. Once in a while, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna, <laughs> gonna, go, do I'm gonna go bing. I'm gonna do it because you know what? Then, then you can develop your own thing when you get a following. Then you can leave, and that's what people don't get a lot. Yeah, it's it's um, you know, I'm a, I, there's art in in the craft. You know, as like a session musician on a typical Monday morning in Nashville, we get handed a piece of paper. We're 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 meeting a new client, and we have a very short period of time to bring their music to life. And their music, this is like the culmination of their hopes and dreams and aspirations. It's like it's a big responsibility to be a studio musician, you know. And uh, that, but that's um, that's a, a real craft, you know. Uh, being able to hear something for the first time, a piece of music for the first time, and thirty minutes later, sixty minutes later, have something that you're going to hear on the radio. The the musicians in Nashville don't get enough credit, but they are world class, highly intuitive, highly skilled musicians, you know. Now, cool. now you're you're playing in this in this food band I don't know what to call it What's society it band society band yeah. it's just funny society of a food band I like that oh, you're playing, we're dressed you're up playing as you know food. corn corn exactly yeah. and you get paid thirty seven fifty an hour and you know you do what you love but uh so now when do you start breaking into where you start breaking the the nut of yeah. this town because there's you start you're doing that but once again you're getting to do what you love which is great yeah. but I'm sure it's not where you wanted to be I think yeah. you want to sit there and be so now what avenues do you take because you also I'm sure are afraid you might get labeled as a society band, people might think, yeah, oh, this yeah. guy's, so what, what did you do? Oh, so it was just, you know, it's a, I tell all the, the young kids coming to town that the music business is a marathon, not a sprint, and to just enjoy the journey. So it was just baby steps, baby steps, you know, going into people's, you know, basements, like Silence of the Lambs kind of basements, and you're playing on free demos on their electronic drums, and then you're, you know, you're subbing for some other musician, and then you're playing down on Lower Broadway for tips, and you're playing like Tammy Wynette and old, you know, Merle Haggard and stuff, which is a language that I didn't speak coming from Connecticut, so I did my homework, and I learned to speak that language, and I got a gig going over to um, playing the uh, USO tours. I went to 14 countries with this guy named Rick Orozco. He's, he's a bilingual, sang in two languages, English and Spanish, great stuff so if i didn't have my latin training i couldn't have done that um we're still friends 18 years later he still hires me to play on all of his stuff he just we just did something for flaco jimenez which is this grammy award-winning uh accordion you know uh spanish musician so uh and uh then that led to other things and other things and then in 1999 i met an an upcoming musician named Jason Aldean and we and for five years I played on his demo recordings and we'd throw gear in our the back of minivans and go and do five sets at some club on in the southeast and his producer championed us and then in 2004 we recorded his debut record and it had a there was a, a number one song called uh, Hick Town and now we're so we've just celebrated 10 years of consistent touring 20 number one songs and now we play stadiums so like last year I played 12 shows with Jason and Kenny Chesney and we played to almost 1 million people. Now, when you got in with them, you're playing the free demos. Yeah. Did you see in your mind, did you say, wow, this guy's going to be really big? Is there something, because, you know, you always sit there and go, what's the difference between this person making it yeah. and this person making it? And this person could be better looking and, you know, something, you know, just, but then this person makes it. When you start off, because I talked a lot about, like, with actors who've worked with Tarantino or th people who've been in certain movies where yeah. they go, I go, did you know, like, I had someone who's on 24, and I said, did you, Mary Lynn, Rash Club, I said, did you know when you were auditioning 
that this this show is just going to become some huge. So huge. She goes, no, you don't know because a lot of times when you audition, they give you a different size or you don't know what's going on at the studio. But for this, I mean, because yeah. you've been around a lot of years since, did you know Jason would become very big? I mean, did you feel no? That you never. Special? You, same thing with same with acting. You just never know. But we the, all the tools were there. He had a he had a smoky, um, you know, sexy voice, and he was hardworking in his his. Um, management team believed in him his producer believed in him he had a great band that were basically we're all all great friends you know so you know 99 percent of touring is being able to get along with you know there's an expectation that you play your, your instrument well and you can execute every night but 99 percent is your 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 personality and your people skills and being able to ride that tour bus for 23 hours and you know the schedule changes on the road and you've got to be flexible but uh no, we were just in the trenches he had all the right stuff he had the smoky voice he had the work ethic he had the team he had the songs and but it didn't happen overnight where was it like 40 showcases for every label in town a million different times and so um he earned it you know and and it's always sweeter that you know the wine is sweeter you know right well, well how you though as 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 musician part of the band I mean, and anyone, because you're in part of the band, is is there any time where it was just getting frustrating because you're going to these showcases and it's and and you know, and it's like anything there. And I, I always laugh because comedians post on Facebook, oh, this person got the break because they're good looking. Hey, that's life. You know, people get sales jobs because they're better looking than somebody. Nobody wants to see the fat drummer. Exactly. No, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, when that David Crosby wasn't a drummer. But no, did you ever, did, was it ever getting frustrating for you guys because you're sitting there after showcase after showcase, sometimes you got to say, hey, you know what? And as a band and you got all, all got along so you're honest with each other. Did you ever sit there and go, hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe this this band, maybe this, this is just not working and yeah. nothing in bad feelings, just that you all want to accomplish something. Did you ever go through that? I mean, because you're getting turned down, turned down, turned down. I must be well, driving yeah. you crazy. And, and you know, and Jason is a recording artist and I'm, you know, I'm just touring and recording drummers. So I'm a, I'm a side man. We're all side men. Um, but so, you know, to supplement our, you know, income through all these other things, you know, through these this journey, I'm working with a million other people. I was touring with a girl named Pam Tillis who had like yeah. 18 top 10 singles, you know, and so I was touring with her. I was touring with a girl named Susan Ashton that was a like a Dove award-winning Christian recording artist. And then um, even through some of these showcases and I had a, um, I was in a band called Rushlow. Tim Rushlow had a band. He was the lead singer of a band called Little Texas. They sold 10 million records and he started his own band. And we were on the label with the Rascal Flats, Lyric Street Records. We had two soft hits. But that was another good experience for me to, you know, be in music videos and being on the cover of magazines and going and after the show having to sign autographs and doing radio interviews and all the stuff that recording artists do. Not sidemen, you know, sidemen, you show up, your job is to, is to you know, be in good spirits, be healthy get behind the drums and execute and they say that a touring musician plays a song um one time like he's well a session musician plays a song one time like he's played it a million times and um a road musician will play a song the millionth time like it's the first time okay. you have to keep it fresh because those people are paying top dollar out in those seats and they don't want they don't want to see you kind of mailing it in they don't care that i've played hick time two thousand times they want to experience that you know, it's like an actor. Hit your mark, deliver your lines, go home. <laughs> now, how do you, as a musician, and you, you know, I look at your, you play with an amazing amount of people. How do you sit there as a musician, sit there and learn all those damn songs? Because my thing is, you know, it's not like, it's not like you're going, okay, you know, you're playing with, let's say, I know you played with Bob Seger. Yeah. Now, it's not like, okay, Bob Seger's going, okay, here's my catalog. And you know what songs he's going to play. You know he's going to play Turn the Page, he's going to play this. And so you sit there and you go, but then... You get done with Bob Seger, and it's not like you're not with Bob Seger anymore. So now you have to go to another person. Yeah. Do you have to like learn the whole catalog, or do they yeah. sit there and go, "Here's pretty much our set list"? Because I would think, yeah. you know, there's some people that have this like Pam Tillis. It's been around forever. If you're gonna play with her, it's like, well, shit. There's a bunch of albums. Yeah. Where do I learn? Now they I, tell you, they tell you the set list. You know, when when I go to auditions, I always tell kids to audition. I say like, they're gonna tell you to learn five songs. Learn the entire catalog. And the the way I do that is, you know, I read music. So thank God it saved me time and time and time again, my classical training. So I'll just scribble out like a little card, like on a three by five card, like little notes about the song, how it starts, how it ends, what the stops are, what the tempo is. And it'll just a nice little reminder. And I could, you know, I've I've done the 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 videos with Aldine where I'll always have I'll have like a little chart and I'll like tape it on my bass drum because when the cameras are flying by or at an award show the Grammys or the you know you're playing uh, the Voice 
you know, if you're miming, you know, Dick Clark came up with that miming thing where you pad the drums down and everybody mimes to the track because the audio signal is way clearer and you could fit way more acts on the show. So you're, you're miming on the drums, but you have to make it look real. So what I do is I just remind myself, I got like a little chart on the bass drum there. Um, but like for the Aldine show, we'll do 20 songs this year and then we will do like five days of rehearsals and it'll become muscle memory. And then it's, a lot of the same songs we've been playing for a long, long time, but it gets very exciting because there's smoke, there's lasers, there's pyro, there's video content. There's this whole team of people making it this, you know, visceral event. Now, how yeah. do you grow, though, as a drummer, as I said, going from smaller venues? And it's like anything, you know, like with a comedian, if a comedian plays in front of 50 people or 100 people, you can gaze their laughs. When you start playing in front of a bigger, if you play in front of 800 people or 1,000 people, when they laugh, what you're used to as being a... 10 second laugh time becomes 25 and it rolls and it's different as a musician when you start playing with him and playing with other people and being on the on the road with anybody when you're playing smaller venues that's one thing but as with jason as you're growing into bigger venues how do you adjust for that because it's like i'm sorry when you sat there as a kid playing at seven years old with your drum thing no one can prepare you to play in front of 80,000 people. Yeah. 80,000 people is a shit. That's the biggest. That's a stadium. That's not even inside where, you know, when you're inside, the music, the sound gets caught. Yeah. When it's outside, it just goes up. Yeah. You know, just So how do you, as you, were you preparing that through the years? Just sitting there going, okay, one day I'm going to be playing with somebody in a huge stadium. Or when you were sitting there, when you were sitting there, were you complacent? Yeah. You know, with a 20,000 going, I could, I could be doing the 20,000. This is nice. <laughs> But it's then, nice icing on the cake, yeah. but but I, I I play like kind of like an over the top kind of like almost anime character, um, you know, drum style. It's like Ginger Baker, Bonham, you know, larger than life. Um, and you don't necessarily have to play that way in a club. I do, <laughs> but um, you know, it's it's you know you have to read the room. I'm not going to play that way at a bar mitzvah or a, you know a wedding or a pool party with a calypso band. But um, you know, the person in the cheap seats way at the highest point. I make a point to go always and walk out the venue. You know, we played the Rose Bowl. I went to the highest point in the Rose Bowl. I hate heights. I walked up there just to get the feeling of what that person's going to see because my energy needs to transfer all the way out there and if you just want to listen to the music I mean just turn on your iPod you know but if you're coming to see an event I want to I want to draw and communicate Communi- uh, music is such a communicative thing and it's our highest I think it's one of our highest forms of expression it's a gift you know but um I've learned that people hear with their eyes and so you I give them a show you know Gene Krupa you know Gene you know swing swings it goes way back you know right. to so that's what I do, yeah. What is the feeling? I mean, if you can sit there to have 80,000 people, because I'm sure you get a drum solo. Mm-hmm. Oh, I used to it in the back in the day, but now we just play the hits, man. Boom, boom, boom. But what is it like when you hear, when you basically, you have that energy of 80,000 people coming up on you. It must be overwhelming. I mean, I'm, you're probably caught up in the moment. Yeah. But what is that like? I mean, what is it, I mean, how can you explain the feeling of 80,000 people adoring fans and it's of all you guys it's just i mean they love jason's song but you know what hey you're animated they love you i'm sure you get a lot you well have you a lot end of fans. you end up on the big screen which is great because it's so far away you know and it's like when you have that many people there's camera we have camera guys walking around the stage and i have a great relationship with the if any drummers are out there musicians immediately make friends with the camera people because if they like you they'll actually put you in the shot you see, know what I, I used mean? to love when I'd see Springsteen. They would show Max Weinberg. I'm like, all right, great. You know, show Max. They, they, He's killing they, himself they back there. It. And yeah, yeah, they would show it. But so now, I mean, what was it? Just an amazing feeling when there's the, that the, many people. The, it's the roar at the beginning and the end. That's the, the the sexiest part of being a musician is walking out to the. And when you finish and you throw out a pair of drumsticks, that's that's really really great. In the mi- in the middle, it's just one big giant organism that you're playing to. I might as well just be playing to one person because I'm going to put out that same amount of energy. Um, it's just this. You get lost in the moment. The muse is on your shoulder and she's whispering in your ear and she's like, "We're having a great night, man. Isn't this awesome?" And you just go to this kind of like special pit place and like people give me. You know, other musicians will give me crap sometimes, mostly drummers, about all these weird faces. I make Jerry Lewis faces and stuff like, like this is not conscious. I'm not working these muscles on my face. Ray Lazier makes a lot of faces well, too. I, dude, you just do. It's just we've lost in the moment, and I've tried to consciously not make faces and sit perfectly straight, and it, I sound horrible. I just you have to lose yourself in in the moment. It's music, right? So however I look is however I look. So most of my like press shots that I get are have to be. 
almost posed and staged because it's very difficult to get a good shot of me that I don't look like some sort of a like a post nuclear uh, right. victim. <laughs> uh, you know. Now, what's it like shooting a video? Because you know, and I know you're going to the acting too, and you want to act, and um, so and acting is very you know cut take cut take. You know, just the way it is. It's not you know, but with a video, because you're. I mean, what is it like? Do they do they sit there? I mean, what they go? Is there a video? Is there a song? Do you guys? Does Jason do a song called Green Tractor? Is Big it, Green Tractor. Yeah, you no. Know, this guy Nick Sanchez who listens to the show, real nice guy. Yeah. I put out. He goes, oh, me and my daughters love big people love that green one. Green yeah. Tractor. Did you do a video for that? That one was a live performance video. So it was like, you know, we played like a, a a concert DVD, and they just grabbed that the video from that. What's it like shooting a video? An actual video is just long hours and it's hurry up and wait. And usually what happens is they do all the ancillary scenes or the little storyline. And then they'll go, it's like an 18-hour shoot. And then on this 18th hour, they go, places, band, you know, the sun's coming up. And, you you know, you're tired. You, it's four in the morning and you, and you get up and you you get behind your axe and you run it, you run it, you run it, and they're going for wide shots. Either there's a giant jib going over or there's a drone going over getting shots and then sometimes there's pyro and there, and so it's just, once again, just taking direction. But the main thing is, is like, you know, as a drummer, you got to put it out there, put it out there, put it out there every time because even if they're doing a close-up shot on one of the other musicians or on Jason's face, you might be in the back of that shot and you don't want to be mailing it in. So I, I might have to play the song 50 times and I'm going to play it 50 times exactly the same way executing it the same way and um then the of course it always works out this the last shot of the day will be let's get the close-ups on rich so they'll get the jib and they'll, they'll or, or or two guys and they'll work around me and it's the last shot of the day and that's when you're the most tired but that's when you're like oh i gotta earn this because if, if i if it looks good i'll get a couple extra shots and my mom will love it right you know <laughs> so now when you're not playing with jason you you, you write music right I, I i write songs uh um i had two number one songs with a band in australia a tasmanian rock band called uh, country country rock band called the wolf brothers now how does that happen that you get hooked up with the crazy a I tasmanian mean, country band yeah. they're, they're well, the best what, guys. What, what is a tasmanian do they just play real fast no they it? play it's, it sounds like nashville country pop music it sounds like it, it, they're actually trying to break into the united states and the nashville scene they're great guys but um you know there's somebody there's thousands of people writing a song right now in nashville tennessee it's songwriting capital of the world and people make it their job you get up and at 10 a.m you're writing a song and I did that for four years. I was lucky enough to have a publishing deal. And as a drummer, I, it was a chance for me to learn a whole other skill set. Like, and I became a pretty solid lyricist. You know, I never saw that happening. But you know, I was always an avid reader, and I was always good in journalism class and stuff. So it, it was great. So now I'm a lyric writer, and I've I've co-written some some cool. I had the Holland Idol record one of my songs. I had a couple Canadian artists, couple a couple no big massive U.S. hits, maybe you know. But I'm working towards that. But how do you how do you find these people and how do they find you? I mean, now that's the one thing about the internet, which is great because you can probably sit there if someone goes, "Hey, I want to write with you." You can Skype with them and you can see what yeah. they're playing. But how does someone, let's say, you know, I mean, how does a Tasmanian band, you know, from it's Australia all, just find you? Do you, do you get yeah. a do you get an email? Or do you get a tweet or does someone yeah. say? And how do they even know you write music yeah. and they're in Australia? I mean, I mean, it just amazes me the connection. How do like, how does like that something happen? The manager, their manager, I met while on tour who was managing one of our opening acts. And once again, just like Hollywood, a relationship, we we hit it off and he kept in touch with me over the years and said, hey man, I got this great band that I'm uh, that I'm managing and they need songs for their debut record. Do you have anything? So with the initial, they call it pitching or plugging. So I pitched them a couple of my songs and they recorded two of my songs on their debut record. And then they did well, very well over there. And then so he says, we're working on the second record. And and we're going to come into, we're coming to the U.S. Can you write with the guys again? I said, better than that. How long are they going to be there? Three weeks. I put a whole writing boot camp together. So I basically opened up my whole Rolodex of all the songwriters I knew that would work good with, well with them. And I set up a whole boot camp where I split the band in half. And they did two writes a day. So they did four writes a day for three weeks. And I ended up getting three songs on the new record and I hooked up all my friends and everybody had a great time and then everybody wins. So it seems like you said, it seems like Nashville is a very supportive community. And I know the kid Zoltan, who was at the part, Lucky's party said, yep. you know, you were very nice where he tweeted you and you got back and forth, which is important. But as a musician, that, I mean, that must just be a really great feeling. And I also think that drummers, and I've had a lot on my show, yeah, drummers, you guys, I mean, there's so many damn drummers at Lucky's place. I was like, yeah. who can I, wait, there's a guitarist. What the hell is he doing here? Drummers are uber supportive of each other. Why do you think that is? It's the, the uh, drummers are just always like, it's like the heartbeat of the band, you know, and usually we're the guys that, that we, we experience 
we're sitting behind watching it all unfold and usually there's a lot of drummers that are very involved in their either in their band songwriting or management or the big picture thing like uh, album design, graphic design. It's in my experience, you know, the drummer in the band is doing a lot of that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, we just love each other. We are so passionate. You have to be crazy to be a drummer, you know, to. Well, you know, I, I said I always say, you know, people always go, hey, man, the craziest guy in the band is a drummer. But my thing is, well, I always think I made drummers amaze me because they do so much stuff. You got to use your arms, your feet, your legs, your head, the right side, left side of the brain, all that stuff. Yeah. And most of the drummers that I know who have been working for a long time, like you all have an education. Yeah. Even like Ray Lazier taught himself and then he taught it. Musicians too, yeah. And they sit there and it's like, you guys all are smart. You guys seem to love the music. As I say, you know, a guitarist can just sit in his room and play guitar and get good. I mean, seriously, that's just, yeah. but a drummer, you have to sit there and love the music. Is, is that why you think you guys- Well, drummers have to, we're only as good as usually the people we're playing with. Of course, it's the make or break piece in a piece of music, the beat, the feel, the groove. We have so much power to shape the direction of a song. You know, the tempo, the the, the loudness, the softness, the, emo, the the drive. We have so many choices that we could take a song in different directions. It's actually a, it's a weapon in the wrong hands. And it's a, it's like Leonard Bernstein and the, you know, a symphony in the right hands. Uh, but, um, but yeah, we, we have to play with other people, which makes drummers people persons. You know, we're we're pe- we're usually the most outgoing. You know? Okay, and you also have to be aggressive because you're playing a drum. It's yeah. not like you say, hey, oh, you know. I'm just and we get our we get our rocks off, man. It's yeah. it's great. You know, you uh, Clem Burke from Blondie did like a test, and he was like, he was he did like some some test, and he was noticing that uh, most rock drummers are burning, you know, like around a thousand calories, and they're they're cardiovascular fitness level is like Olympic athlete. Okay, because you guys are pounding it. You're pounding, you're pounding, and you everything, you're exercising. Well, that's a good thing. You know, yeah. who needs a gym? You save the money in a gym. Yeah. So now you play with a lot of country people. Yep. Now, now, do you want to play some rock? I mean, when you sit there, it's like, when you're down, when the downtown, I mean, downtown, because you're not going to give up on the Jason. Oh, dude, I'm chasing, I'm chasing LA dreams. If there's anybody listening out there, I am a rock drummer and I will come and I will play. I will bring your music to life. So I'm coming, I'm coming out here. I've been coming out here for four years and crashing on floors and, and rent and renting Toyota Yaris's and like, you know, just experiencing Los Angeles. I have a love affair with this city and I have no doubt in my mind that I will eventually, um, get a place here. I want to be by, I'd like to be by coastal. So in the meantime, on every little break I have, um, I come out here and I was given an opportunity this year to, um, be in an, in an independent horror movie called reawakened. If you look it up on IMDB and my friend Jose Altanega, who's actually a cameraman up at the drum channel, which is an educational web page that's up in Oxnard. Whenever I'm in town, I'll go up there and I'll record educational videos and for the, for the World Wide web. And he was the cameraman and he said, yeah, do you have any interest in acting? I said, are you kidding me? I've seen every episode of three's company. I've, it's been a career fantasy of mine for yeah, like 30 two, years. Two Brokers. Yeah, two brokers. No, 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 we'll no. talk about this. Yeah, and, no, and he goes. Well, he goes. Well, you're 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 Lieutenant Paxton, man. He goes. I said, you know, I don't have any experience. He goes. I want you to be you. You're perfect for this thing. So we go this weekend in June this year. I go. I'm you know playing a lieutenant. I've got the gun. I'm covered in blood. I'm there's a witch. She slices my throat. I'm hanging out with all these cute little starlets and and it was a great time. And I hit my marks and I delivered my lines. And all the other actors were pro actors, SAG actors. And they were like, Hey man, like, you know, where's your next gig? What are you doing? I was like, dude, I'm a drummer. This is my first job to like, what you should be doing this. So it was, that was a nice shot of confidence. And then I, I, I went to an acting class with my friend Malcolm, who was in the movie, and I met this great guy named Steven Snyder, who has a Monday and Tuesday class for 20 years over at the complex on Santa Monica. Right. And so I totally hit it off with him and now he's my acting coach. And so I come out here, he does private one-on-one with me. I go to his class every Monday and Tuesday and I feel myself getting better and better and better and, and uh, defining my goals more and more and more. And it just feels good. I'm, I'm doing it. The only way to, to act is to act. And the only way to chase an acting career is to be here and do it. Now, do you think because you've had all the experience being on stage? Okay. That's one. Two, being in videos, mm-hmm. which is the camera. Three, Playing on the Oscar. I mean, you played at the. Uh, I love the. I love the camera. You've been, you, you, but you've been on like what the Grammys, the, the yeah, the, yeah. The, the, have you been at the Oscars? You know, for some reason it's on my IMD page. Yeah, I think it's a mistake, but I'm not gonna move it. But yeah, keep it. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. Why not? But so, but that's also something where you, you've been in front of the camera. Yeah. On a video and live, and I'm sure you've been in front of the camera because yeah. people always record your sets. I mean, you have people recording a tour. Yeah. Do you think that made it easier for you to sit there and get? in front of the camera because yeah. a lot of times people when they're first time on the camera they're like 
holy crap, I'm on camera. They don't know how to act. But yeah. you, you've been on camera. And you've also been in front of 80,000 people. Yeah. So your fear level, I mean, must be, that must be, must be part taking out. Because when you're an actor, a lot of times you want to hit your, you know, be your, hit your marks and do the good job acting. But you also have that thing on the side, like, well, what if I'm not coming across good on camera or, or if you're a theater major coming across live, mm-hmm. but for you to think that's helped that you actually have totally. sat there and been in front of the camera, yeah. been in front of 80, not many people can say, I've never been in front of 80,000 people. Yeah. So I'm filling in the gap. So it's like, you have a lot of like theater actors or thespians are like really trained. They've been studying this craft and they've never been in front of a camera. It's like, I'm filling in the skill set. I'm working on being a making it real and being believable. And and I'm I really could care less about theater. I'm focusing on t- on TV, film and TV and being a commercial actor. I could sell a product. I'm a motivational speaker. I do motivational, inspirational speaking. I speak for companies like Cisco and Johnson and Johnson. And and I have a unique event that's called my Crash Course for Success and Crash Stands for Commitment, Relationships, Attitude, Skill, and Hunger. So I have a one hour what I call edutainment. So I come out, I do a drum solo, and I talk about commitment and how it's helped my life and how it can be applied to that company and their their bottom line and their employee, their employee morale. And, and then I play a number one song and then I talk about relationships and then I play a number one song and it's a fun event. And so I'm already in front of the camera. I'm already speaking in front of, you know, I did uh, 800 people in Vegas for this big uh, event for Cisco and everybody had uh, these Cisco drumsticks. And so instead of clapping, they all just, I mean, 800 people hitting their drumsticks together was like really, really cool. So for me, it's this is just a natural progression. Now, how did you get into the motivational speaking thing? Because it's a it's a it's a market that is very populated, and I think you need an angle with you because you're a drummer. And I think in all honesty, I, I think there's a, a a bunch of amazing motivational motivation speakers, amazing out there. But yeah. I also think there's a bunch of crap yeah. that's and you know and so it's like how do you establish yourself in that field? Because one, you're, it's such a big group and also i'm sure a lot of corporate companies are like wait a second this guy's a drummer yeah so it's a it's sometimes it's a little bit of a tough sell but it's very outside of the box and i'm just trying to find the companies that want outside of the box like one time i almost got hired by this a German company that makes like you know test tubes and beakers and stuff and but the girl the girl that wanted to hire me was very passionate but the German folks they just didn't they're like what is this we don't a drummer what and it's like the drums are just another way to drive home my my talk points and to like really really drive it home um so I you know I'm a teacher so with a background in education I started doing drum clinics you know 10 years ago and I'm trying to figure out figure a way to set myself apart from the pack instead of just going in and doing a 90 minute drum solo any questions that's not me I want I really wanted to offer something of value for people that want to make a career cultivated career in the music business so I came up with this acronym which is a great platform for me because it's a great way to pace an an hour of edutainment and it's also a great way to customize my message because if I'm speaking to kindergartners the message is going to be a little bit different if I'm speaking to the top level performers at Cisco or Johnson and Johnson that's a different message and if I'm doing a clinic at a guitar center and there's a mix of hobbyists weekend warriors and local professionals and beginning drum students that's a also a different message but by talking about commitment we all need to be committed to whatever craft we have at hand honoring relationships um, in life um, having a positive and flexible attitude developing our skill set over the course of our lives and staying hungry for success at any stage of our life that's a that is a, a way that you can attract more success to yourself and I and people if you want to be a successful drummer a musician or a soccer mom or be the next person that walks on the moon you could follow crash to get you there faster. How did you come up with the? Uh, how did you just come up with the whole system and the acronym? Because it, it's you know it's you think crash. First of all, a lot of times crash is something that negative. Can, negative, but but with a drummer, crash is good. So and then there's a parallel. But how did you come up? Did you sit there and did you sit down one night and say, okay, I I you know I, I mentor people. I want to make a difference. I need to come up with something. Yeah. I need to sit there and come up with you know what words should I use and you know and 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 also. You want to make sure it sounds good because it right. can't be hokey because no one's going to see a hokey guy and yours sounds good. You know, Yakov Smirnov does a thing with a love and it sounds great because he's, a lot of people don't know, Yakov has his master's from Penn in relationships. Besides being a world-renowned comedian who's performed for the president. So he talks about love. That's great. He, about the laughter and relationships and okay. he came up with an acronym. So how did you come up with the acronym and then how did you sit there in your mind, you're, you're a busy guy, how do you sit there and decide this is what I want to do because it is a field that, you know, for a guy who's drumming, and being an actor, 
and writing songs in Australia. Motivational speaker isn't someone that you you that comes into that. How did you just decide to yeah. go on this path? Well, it took like I said, it took one hour to develop the acronym and ten years to try to make it sticky. And I do it all the time. I uh, while we're on tour, I will get up on the bus and somebody will pick me up from the local music store or the college or the high school and I'll go do a crash event before my 3 p.m. sound check. So I have like, I live a double life on the, on the, on the road. I'll, you know, the, a lot of, a lot of road musicians, it's like the idle time is the devil's playground and that's why addiction, there's so many bad things that can happen on the road. So I get up, someone picks me up and like I said, I'm speaking to a thousand seniors at a high school or I'm speaking to a hundred top level performers at a, at a, you know, a, a lunchtime corporate meeting or I go to the guitar center or a mom and pop drum shop or I'll go to the college and I'll talk to the music business department. And so I'm either doing a talk or a talk play crash type event as many days as I can on the road. So this year we'll do 65 shows and I'll try to book as many of these things as possible. And it gets a little exhausting. It's hard to do three in a row. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, do a crash event, do a sound check, do the gig, travel, crash, sound check, gig, crash. It's that's a tough one. Now, but I it, do it. <laughs> but that's good though. You know, I mean, I can see drum people, college people, high school people, you know, really loving it. But it must be weird because you come in, you're a drummer, and yeah. I'm sorry, people who work at Cisco who are top, you know, a lot of them are in the computer. They're brilliant people, but yeah. they're not what you call the most outgoing people. They're not what you call the most hip people. Yeah. How is it, how do you find your relationships with them when they, do they sit there and probably sometimes go, what the hell, yeah. what, you know, what the hell's a drummer? You, you got to hook them with the passion. So right away you come out and they, and they, and they go like, wow, this guy's fearless. He comes out, we're at a, we're in a corporate meeting room at a hotel. The drums are set up. I come screaming through the audience and, and get it. We're clapping. I'm playing tambourine. I'm standing up. I'm walking around. I'm high fiving. I'm getting the energy in the room up. And they go, "This person's a nut, but he's likable, and he's got a message." And so then I go right into the message, and they're like, "Wow, this stuff is so applicable, not only to our our corporate philosophy and culture, but my personal life." And so hopefully there's just a lot of value. And I don't like to go over 60 minutes because I want I want to leave them like, "Wow, they call it the power hour." It's like. I just got hit over the head with drums and information and things I could take home and be a better person. Hopefully just inspire people, you know, inspire, motivate, educate, entertain. Have you ever, because you want to act and because you do this, have you ever thought of recording this and doing a, like one of those, like, Hey, Hey, I'm rich Redmond. And you know, if you're feeling lackluster, feeling, you know, lack of days, here's what you do. You can get my three CDs, three CDs. Have you ever thought of doing that? Because I think, because the, the thing about people is you have two kinds of people that get the motivational thing. I, I, I would, I did the Anthony. You know they're calling it now? Inspirational. Motivational has somehow gone out the window. That's bullshit. I, I don't need to be, ins- I need motivated. I don't need to be inspired. All right, I'm going to stick to it. I'm already being, you're already inspired if you're following something. You just need to be motivated. I mean, that's my feeling. The follow through. Ins- yeah. ins- inspiring. Just like, wow, I listened to some. I love, I love that idea. It's on the to-do list. I just. You like- should because it's a matter of, because I say, if I watch TV, well, I'm not, I mean, the time I did Anthony Robbins, I'll be, I'll be honest. I, 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 I it's expensive to create it's no, infomercials. I, 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 I taped them. Uh, yeah. I taped them off my friend's CDs. Just <laughs> long I know it was bad, but no, but the thing is though, people, you know, they don't, they want to, people want to get, you know, motivated. And for yours is something different. I think people would like because it's. I don't want to hear, you know, Anthony Robbins. I like, but he, he's got a big head. He looks like sort of like a horse. I don't want to see. You know, I think of the horse talking about me. I'm like, wait, I'm paying money to see a horse talk. Yeah, it's not Mr. Ed. For you though, I mean, the drum. I mean, I think that would be like a bestseller just because it's something different. Yeah. And it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be expensive to make. No, I mean, we all. Have, the funny thing about today is like, look at the studio that we're in. We have a. We have a laptop. We have a. a, a you know, a minimum amount of equipment, and it's your your. Broadcasting to the world, and I'm not even using that. Laptop. Yeah, the, the, you're checking your AOL. No, no, no. <laughs> that's a, that has your IMDb. Look, see, that's got Rich Redman. That's happening, man. I and need then, to... then I have, but I have your uh, website, which is uh, richredman.com. And people, it's R I C H R E D M O N D dot com. Great website. When Thank I you. when I was sitting there, I was looking. I was looking for your Wikipedia to find information. I need a Wikipedia. No, but no, you don't, because I didn't know your. Well, yeah. I, I put. I think I put Rich Redman bio, and your website didn't come up. That's good. It's a good one. It's you know you did. It's they did the uh, whatever the no, analytics. It didn't, it didn't come up. Oh, it didn't. So I went to your IMDb because I wanted to find some information. Oh, but you just type in Rich Redman, and it should just come. But it's right it's up. a great website. Now, now what on the website? Now it says you're an author. What do you what what have you? Oh yeah, I wrote a recently uh, a book called Fun. 
capital F-U-N, Dementals, Fundamentals of Drumming for Kids, ages 5 to 10. And I co-wrote it with a friend of mine, Michael Aubrecht, and it's basically a... Um, different spin on drum education for very young children because we're lacking like pedagogical material to teach young drummers to get them excited about the drums and so this system gets kids counting clapping rhythm they learn about the history of the drums there's coloring book pages there's flashcards. um i teach the note values like a pizza like a whole note is like a ha- a whole pizza and the half notes are the half of the pizza pie and the quarter notes are the qu- and uh and then there's a, it comes with a dvd uh, with me so I can you can kind of pop it in there and I'm with you the whole time uh, and it's just a great way to learn the drums I teach what I call the money beats which are basically the five beats that everybody's heard in their mo- mommy's belly before they come out so and it teaches also the kids to read music um, so it's a fun book it's published by Modern Drummer which is the world's leading drum magazine and it's distributed by uh, Hal Leonard which is a leading company in like music education books and it's also available for uh, Kindle and iPad and all the all those devices too now, do you do you get emails from? Uh, well, I know uh, Zoltan tweeted tweeted you, but do you ever get emails from people you do a motivational speaking for, or for even parents of the kids who read your book? Do you ever get emails like that? And it must make you feel good if you do. I mean, oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, like, what what kind of emails do you get? The mo- the majority of the emails I get are people wanting to go to coffee. Because they want information on how to break into the music business. So I have a book that's about sixty percent done. That's called Nashville. Dot dot dot. Now what? Question mark. An insider's guide to navigating the Nashville music business. So if I can ever, my thing, my thing is follow through because that's like a huge project. And so it's like all these little projects I I do are like on airplanes and like in the back of the bus, you know. And it's so that's why I usually co-author with people because the other person usually can help me get it across the finish line. Right. But this book is going to help a lot of people because I just basically get, it's very flattering to get asked. I could float away on a river of coffee. Thank God. I love coffee. But people just, um, it's good. People are fearless. They reach out to people and they say, look at you, this person is doing what I want to do. If he can give me just 20 minutes of time and I try to do it because the 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 insight that I can give a person can truly save them five years. It's really amazing. I, I I've gotten that with this show because I'm I'm not a name. I mean I'm not a name. I did comedy, but I, I'm not a name. And the guests I get, just I think people want to come in and talk. And that's yeah. the thing is a lot of people and you know a guy, a drummer, or a character actor, they don't get a chance to talk for an hour. I'd love you know, to talk to all your character but, actor guests. But it's, <laughs> but it's great because you know it's like I notice that they're the people who make up this industry and the music and the thing and they're probably a lot more interesting than the stars because the stars can't go anywhere because people are always they have their team of people because they have to but the character actors can go places and you know they sit there and they have stories they're fascinating and that's what's cool we're the worker bees of the you know as a drummer i'm a worker bee it's it's a craft whether i'm recording um um as a session drummer or you're producing an up-and-coming band or you're the guy in the background whether you're playing for 20 people or 80,000 people we're the worker bees and the character actors like they're fascinating I've always been so attracted I was like oh I know that guy I know that I'm great with faces I was like I'll see somebody and, and I'm like oh he was in da, 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 da. I know they're IMDB there, there's a good movie to rent and actually the director Ian Romaine who's a talent agent uh, for a big very big uh, SMS agency he directed it and co-produced it with Brian Volkweiss from New Wave Management both past guests, and it's called The Guy That Was In That Thing, and it's interviews with all these character actors. And then they came out with another one, That Gal Who Was In That Thing. And through Ian, I've had a bunch of those women cool. on my show. But it, it's very cool, because, yeah, you see these people, and you see they have, like, 200 credits, and you go, wow, but no one like, And they're knows. living a super quality life, yeah. and they're expressing themselves, and they they have their craft, and it's... Yeah, that's that's what's so attractive about... about um, this Hollywood thing. It's like if you're super, if you know your craft and you're super methodical and you run your business in a, in a smart way, I think it's very possible to get from point A to point B. Well, it's also just as business. Look at Joanne. You know, she doesn't want to act. She was doing public speaking, but that wasn't, that wasn't panning out, what, yeah. which it should have, but it just things happen. So she's doing background. Well, now she's union. Background actors make a good living. They yeah. can make a, I mean, you sit there and you go, what? You just work, you got, you know, and, and it's, and being, I, I did background yesterday. It's the easiest gig you'll ever have. I, love I sat down, I, I ate, and I was, I was, I played a patient. I was only in one scene. I was there for 
11 and a half hours. They only used me in the beginning and they splinted my leg and all. And I just got a call out of nowhere to do it. And it's, yeah, they can make a living and then they get a pension. And you people, you know, I wish I'd started doing That's this amazing. earlier. They That's sit amazing. there and it's sad. So we only have a few minutes left. Uh, what's it like, though, touring with a big star, like the accommodations you get up? I mean, it must be different from when you started out, yeah. you're sitting there, you're playing at little hotels and no one recognizes you. Now there's got to be bedlam. And how do you? I mean, how does that how does that deal? Like, well, I'm I, I'm still the guy behind the guy. I mean, you know, like there there's you know they call them fans for a reason. They're fanatics, right? Everyone's fanatical about something. But so there's of course circles of people that will recognize me. But it's great to be. You know, I can't imagine when you think about it, like Tom Cruise. He can't go to the grocery store. He can't pump gas. Right. It's like how does he? What do you do? It's got to be an interesting life. I mean, when you think about it. So. Yeah, we're just yeah, we're just just normal guys, and a lot of these country stars never get recognized with their baseball cap on because they look completely different without their hat. Right, which is a cool. That's, that's it's, great. It's a cool thing to have. But yeah, but when you start out, you're in a van, and then you know you're 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 eating sweaty cheese, and I'm lactose intolerant, which is horrible. And then and then you uh, then you work your way up to a you know a kind of an old 1980s Eagle touring bus that's been used by a million people that smells like feet. And then before long, you've got. 12 tour buses and 18 semis and a hundred employees and a professional caterer. And you can use the, you know, you, we play a lot of, uh, you know, professional hockey arenas and stadiums. So you could go and work out where the team That's works great. out, you know, and it's great. And then now when's the new tour start? Uh, new tour is starting on Thursday this month, next Thursday in Moline, Illinois. Now, do you does it does the road wear on you sometimes though, and does it because it's or well, is it well, now because it's nicer, it's yeah. easier, it's much easier. It's so turnkey. You wake up in a new city, um, the routing is tight. So I wake up, I do my crash event, I get a workout, I do my uh, sound check, we eat dinner as a band, we uh, play the gig, and then you get on the bus and you wake up in another city, and it's and it's you're you're really. I mean, I sleep well on a moving bus, and I've always been lucky to have a great driver. You know, the bad the bad drivers are the guys that like used to drive cattle or like frozen foods and stuff. <laughs> And they're like, I'm going to go drive a tour bus. And they don't change their technique because we're living people back there. You really have to have a touch as a tour driver, as a tour bus driver. Always had great tour bus drivers. And do you eat healthy on the road? Totally healthy. You can eat as good as you want or as bad as you want. I And once again, it's having a relationship with the caterer and saying, hey, man, can I get my chicken breast and broccoli? And, you know, can I get less mayonnaise and the tuna? And it's it's great. It's so true. will they make you like anything? Like, like, let's say I jumped on a tour bus with you guys. Like, I just jumped on it. And you didn't throw me off. I just snuck in. Could I say, hey, I would like some uh, a leg of lamb would they make me like well there's lamb? a there's a there's a leg of lamb night it'll oh, be is, is there, is there the, a menu well there's just somewhat of a menu <laughs> you know and they'll rotate through it and you know the beginning of the tour is always like steak and lobster right the end of the tour is always steak and lobster um and and then they'll have themed nights or whatever but if you're you know like i'm always perpetually you know dieting you know so they, there's a juicer there and there's you can make protein smoothies and there's always salads and if i say hey can i get a chicken bread f- breast for dinner and blacken it Amazing that you have that flexibility because you know that that really helps morale. Feeding yeah. people is you is the best way to create morale in any organization. Exactly. You know. Well, I, I want to thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks for having I'm me. Glad this... I met you. As yeah. The people I met and we just started. I uh, want to see your act. Lucky. Well, I'm, well, uh, lucky. Lucky was like, hey man, he'd be a good. And, and I said I wasn't sure who Jason Aldean was. It's, I don't follow country That's music. That's great. That's great. And now I'm gonna watch some videos. Thank just, you, Lucky. I'm gonna watch some videos to see you, yeah. not to see him, because yeah. I don't, I'd rather see my friend. And uh, now give all your info. Give all your info you have. Like, oh yeah, sure, sure. Um, super easy. This rich, it's Rich Redmond, R E D M O N D dot com, and that has more information that you'd ever want to know about me on there and uh uh crash course for success.com is a great way to learn about my motivational inspirational event um and then on instagram twitter and facebook i'm just my name rich redmond so go follow him people and do you tweet a lot tweet a lot yeah okay do you tweet funny stuff or just tweet like it needs to be fun. I mostly it, it's kind of like just like a billboard. Like back in the day, we used to like put our band flyers on the uh, the telephone poles. I just kind of let the world know where I am and what I'm doing. That's cool. Well, yeah. So following people at Rich Redmond, follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. It's at Cooper Talk. I post a lot. I post funny stuff. I was posting this morning. <laughs> uh, you can go to my Instagram, which I am posting more. Uh, I, I didn't post a lot before. I used to post some healthy food stuff. That's Cooper Talk one because somewhere else someone has Cooper Talk. Uh, my website, uh, coopertalk.net. I have over 460 episodes up there. You can email me, cooper at coopertalk.net and uh, iTunes, Stitcher, once again, Cooper Talk. And if you have a Google if you go to the Google Play Store with your Android tablet or phone, I have a Cooper Talk app. You can put it on. You can listen on the phone. 
it goes straight to there. It's wonderful. You can get it. You have to look at my face in the very beginning, but that's okay. <laughs> and um, also, uh, I'm, I'm going to announce this. I have not done comedy in forever. I will be playing Flappers Sunday, January 31st. I'm one of the two opening acts for House Sparks. It's in the main room at 7 o'clock. So go to their website, flapperscomedy.com. Check it out. You'll get to see me. I'm only doing 10 minutes, but I'm getting back into the biz. And uh, my other website that's close to my heart, stopthesalt.com. As you know, when I had health problems, I uh, got out of the hospital. I had to change my diet. So I wrote a cookbook, stopthesalt.com. It's 120 recipes. They're all low sodium cooking for one. Easy. No pictures to intimidate you. No big ingredients. You don't have cumin? Don't worry. I got no ingredients for cumin. So go there. You can buy it. At, you can buy it at Amazon. You can buy it in Barnes Noble. But if you buy it at StopTheSalt.com, I will sign it for you and I make more money. So that's about it. Follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, drink your water, or whatever. I'll talk to you last night, last week. I'm losing it. Bye.